Hello and welcome to the Live and Love Like Jesus podcast. My name is Andy Tier, and each week here on the podcast, we explore what it truly means to live and love like Jesus. We do this as we follow his example of being with God, being with others, and being sent. For this episode of the podcast, we've recorded a special interview between John Heflick, he's Crossroads Local Outreach Lead, and three of our friends from the Evansville Rescue Mission. The Rescue Mission has been a vital part of our community, serving the tri-state area for over a century now. And they do this in several ways. They run a residence center that provides shelter for homeless men, and it serves over 250,000 meals a year. They also own and operate Camp Reveal, which hosts day camps each summer that encourage personal and spiritual growth for over 400 kids. And they also operate the Evansville Rescue Mission Thrift Store. And you're going to hear some exciting news about that in this episode, as well as operating a youth care center that provides counseling and care for more than 900 boys and girls each year. So I hope you're looking forward to this conversation, and I hope that it might even inspire you to participate in some of the great work that our ministry partner, the Evansville Rescue Mission, is doing right here in the Evansville area. Welcome to a conversation today with some friends from the Evansville Rescue Mission, and I'm really excited to have this conversation today about homelessness in our community in Evansville, Indiana. Uh, Why don't you guys... Tell us your names and who's around the table today. Okay, I'm Randy Buer, and um, I've been a member of Crossroads for probably 20 years, and I'm involved in the rescue mission. In what ways are you involved in the mission? I think my badge says I'm an educator. Uh, <laughs> for the men, I go down once a week, and we do a Bible study together. Awesome. I'm Kyle Gorman. I'm our executive director of advancement. So I handle all of our public relations or marketing and events and volunteering, things like that. Cool. And I'm Nate Dinning. I am the lead pastor at the Rescue Mission and also the director of programming. So I provide spiritual guidance to the residents, but also oversee all of our different areas of programming that we have for our residents. And I'm John Heflick. I'm the local outreach pastor here at Crossroads and uh, three Mondays out of the month, a speaker uh, chapel on uh, the mission with the guys. Uh, and what that means for me is I just go in with the Bible, open it up, read a Jesus story, and we chat about it. So not a lot of preaching going on there, but a lot of conversation, a lot of dialogue. Um, so uh, I guess I'm invested in this conversation too uh, from my side. So how did y'all get involved in this kind of work? Well, I guess I can start. Um, I... Uh... Well, basically, it was interior design. Uh, I didn't start off as an educator. Um, it was Tracy Gorman asked me to help with the facility when they moved into Walnut Street to turn it from a vet, veterans clinic mm -hmm. to a men's shelter. And I got tapped on the shoulder. So I developed a relationship with some of the men because they were helping me hang pictures and whatnot. And it kind of just flowed into, why don't you come and teach us the Bible? And talked to Tracy and Josh Nichols and they invited me to try it. I was concerned if the men would be comfortable with me teaching, helping them to see what God's word says. But almost from the very beginning, we just had a lot of fun and we connected. Of course, the men changed, but they've always made me feel very welcome. So now I think it's four years going on for So it's been great. Yeah. Um, so my dad was a pastor for the beginning of my life and then one, one time he took a job at the Evansville Rescue Mission and it was the president and CEO and that was my family's first 
big introduction outside of, you know, the churchy homelessness view that we've grown up with. It was being all consumed in what it meant to be abused and addicted and mental health issues. And I mean, growing up in that then from middle school on, I mean, that was a big part of my life. And so when I graduated college and there was a job opening, I wanted it. Yeah. And for me, I've been a minister now for, I think, about 14 years. And um, during a majority of that time, I served as a youth pastor and up in Gibson County, which is just 20 minutes north of um, the Evansville area. And so one of the things I would do often is bring my youth group down to the mission to serve. And so we would serve meals, help clean, do different events and stuff. So I kind of got associated with it from the volunteer standpoint. Um, About five years ago, my family and I moved to Evansville to plant a new church. And in that process, I was looking for a job and they happened to have a pastor's position open up at the mission. And I thought, hey, um, I'm a pastor. They need a pastor. I'm looking for a job and they have a job. And so I applied and now I've been there for almost three years. Um, so what do you think are some key contributors, uh, to homelessness in our community? I think there are some stereotypes out there that might not be exactly true. So could y'all speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I'll start that conversation. Um, so there, there are your, your standard stereotypes and there, there's probably some validity to them, but not by any means do they cover everyone. Um, obviously, um, addiction and mental um, health issues are are two major issues in our community, but not just amongst homelessness. That's just an epidemic amongst everyone in the community. They are not the contributing factors to homelessness. They are sometimes the symptoms of homelessness. Um, For us, uh, a lot of times homelessness is the result of essentially either a great life trauma um, or uh, even a lack of hope. You know, uh, individuals will experience something and they don't know how to process it and they almost just give up. They just kind of quit. They, they don't want to um, do anything or whatever. And so because of that, they uh, give up and become homeless. They, they quit paying their bills. They quit going to work and they get evicted. It's, it's not something that just usually happens overnight. It's a process. Um, the other thing is just fear or lack of knowledge. I find um, some people need help, but they don't know how to ask for help. And then before long, the, the need piles and piles and piles. And before too long, they, they have nowhere else to turn. And so they just kind of have to abandon everything. Um, they have to give up. Uh, for men, it, like I said, there's pride issues that get in the way. There's, um, you know, anger issues, personality defects. There's all sorts of stuff like that. For women and children, a lot of times we have women who are afraid to ask for help because it could result in losing their child. Um, it, you know, if, if Child Protective Services finds out that they don't have a home, then there's a good chance they'll take their child. And so it's easier for them to not say anything and keep their child and figure it out on their own than reach out for help and potentially lose their child. There's that fear in there. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's not just your normal, like we look at someone and we think, get a, get a job bum, you know, they're just a drug addict or whatever. Of course that stuff's there, but it, honestly, the majority of it is people who literally just don't know what to do. And so, um, there, there was a study done that a lot of people only have, you know, a lot of Americans only have about a thousand dollars saved up for an emergency situation. And so a lot of people are one major emergency away from being in a similar position, um, and we don't realize how how um, how close sometimes we can even become to exactly being in the situation that some of the homeless in Evansville are in. And COVID hasn't helped. 
um, with COVID, there was a lot of people who were unable to get jobs. Um, now it's easier to get a job, but during the heart of COVID, no one was hiring. Um, some people weren't able to go to work. They weren't deemed essential and they weren't getting paid for that. And although there were COVID relief funds and stuff, they didn't know how to apply for that kind of stuff. They didn't have anyone to help navigate that or they didn't have the resources available to do so. And so they've lost their jobs. And um, then when they raised or lifted the, uh, sorry, when they made it able for people to be evicted, we had a lot of people who um, got evicted because they weren't paying their bills and they were way back on their bills. They hadn't paid them in months because they hadn't been able to. So now they owed these just sums of money. They, there was no way they were going to be able to pay. Well, there's there's a lot that you just said. Uh, <laughs> Kyle, you want to pick up on any of those things? Yeah, um, I know one of the biggest things is obviously uh, alcohol and addiction and drug addiction. Uh, I, I think that for us and what we see a lot, and Nate can correct me if I'm wrong, um, a lot of those factors are there and you'll see um, and you'll see these people coming in with these problems. And yeah, the that main face value problem might be that drug addiction or that alcohol addiction. But then as you dig deeper into it, then you're getting a lot more of those problems where it's not just that. Then you're getting into the problems that Nate just talked about. They don't know what to do after they've become sober. They don't know what to do uh, to apply for this job or that job. They don't know how to make it seem like uh, that they are presentable enough to get that job or to to apply themselves and so what we're there to do is to help them learn those things where they need to learn those traits and they need to uh, how to dress better and how to take care of themselves and grooming and things like that I mean we have somebody who comes and does haircuts once a week and I it I think it's changed the game for a lot of our guys being able to have that consistent haircut that consistent look that's their look it's not just Oh, he looks like he came off the street. No, this is this is how he wants to look because he's got that cool style. It's the way he wants his hair to be done. It's those little things that I think that aren't brought up a lot that change so much. That's really good. What about the view from across the table to them? Well, I, of course, I see it from a uh, female perspective, but I just look at the men as because I don't I personally don't get to hear their backstories when they come into Bible study. Um there's a few few times I might get alerted, you know, if someone can't read, I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. So I've been told that, that kind of thing. But overall, they're just a, a fresh new face walking in. And um, and I just see them as someone's brother, someone's father. Um, and I also think that knowing that they're covered in prayer by family. And so here's an opportunity to be answered prayer. And, and help these men to get the dignity that Kyle spoke about. And, and Nate was saying that these programs are trying to help them basically restore themselves um, to start over. Um, I talk about how God's word is changes the trajectory of their lives. And so, um, so I just look at it as a very honorable thing. I'm excited to actually, you know, do what God commands and, and, and share Christ and help them to see how loved they are. So I see them just basically as just addition to like, we're with one big family. <laughs> That's cool. We're in a series right now at Crossroads talking about uh, your neighbor. And we are overtly stretching that idea through the Good Samaritan to anybody who we come across in our community. And, and homeless folks are absolutely our neighbor, as we see in, in, in Scripture. So you guys have talked a little bit about some of the challenges that take place in people's lives to get them to the point of where they are homeless. 
what do you see as some of the challenges for rebuilding their lives on the other side of that too? Uh, and one thing I want to drill in that Nate, you said a little bit deeper is that trauma piece. So we know that homelessness itself is a trauma, right? Not having a house, not, and even if you're living in your car, that is a traumatic situation, not knowing where your next meal is coming from, not knowing if you're going to be uh, allowed to stay in a parking lot all night. Uh, there's a trauma there. But what part does trauma play in both getting them into the shelter and what barrier is it to getting them out? Absolutely. Well, John, trauma is it's a unique situation for every individual. You know, they they've all experienced different things. No two guys who come through our door are the same, maybe have similar background stories. But um, when we're dealing with the trauma of our residents, we could be talking about recent trauma, you know, becoming homeless, living on the streets. You know, we're coming out of winter. Being homeless in winter is a very traumatic experience, especially when you've had some of the cold nights we've had. Um, not knowing where your meal's going to be, not knowing if there will be shelter. You know, there, there's trauma in that. But then there's a lot of them that trauma dates back to childhood, unresolved issues that they've been dealing with um, or not dealing with, hiding from. And that a lot of times leads to the addiction, the, that escape mentality of trying to get away from this trauma. So for us, um, one of the first things we can do is when they come into our doors, create a very welcoming environment. Um, there, there is a, a big step of walking into a shelter. I know a lot of people see someone on the street and they think, well, why don't they just go to the rescue mission or why don't they go to the United Caring Center? And the thing is, is there's a, there's a very big act of pride swallowing involved in walking through our doors for the first time. Um, admitting I can't, I need help. You know, that's, that's tough for all of us. Many of us in our lives every day have a hard time asking for help. Well, imagine literally going to someone saying, I don't know how to live on my own. I mean, that's, that's a lot of pride, um, giving up there. And so they come in and we try to make it as welcoming and non-judgmental as possible. Um, we're, we're not worried about what their stories are in the sense of you're not welcome here. We're worried about the they are so that we can help and love them. Um, also meeting their basic needs. Um, if a guy comes in and he is hungry and he hasn't had a shower in months and he hasn't had a haircut and he hasn't had nice shelter in a while, he doesn't care how many Bible verses we know. He needs those basic needs met. And so that trauma for us, that healing of trauma initially is just helping them realize like you're safe and you're going to be taken care of while you're here. All your needs will be met. Then once we do that, then we can start to kind of um, work with them. I think it's uh, the movie Shrek. Uh, he says ogres are onions. Well, I think the truth is we're all onions. We have layers and we peel through those layers. We, we dig deeper and that's when we get to know their stories. And, and sometimes it takes a while to get to know someone's whole story. We've got guys who have been at the mission now, maybe their third or fourth time. And I've known them for years and I'm just now learning some of their stories because they had to tr get to the point where they could trust me before they would share any of that with me. Um, it, you know, they're not coming in just saying, all right, this is everything I've ever done wrong, fix my life. They're guarded, they're protected because some of them have been wronged and they have to learn that they can trust you um, before they'll ever share anything with you. And so we, we just, are, we're patient. That's a huge one. We're just patient. We, 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 we have structure. We have um, things we ask them to do. We give them purpose. We give them structure. We give them hope. And then we just wait for them to kind of reciprocate that and then come back to us and be open to us. Um, and then 
as we move on that trauma of of leaving, we find a lot of guys who have been in our shelter for, you know, six months, even a year or more, leaving is terrifying because they've become comfortable. They've become um, this is this is this is safe. Yeah, maybe for the first time in their life. Exactly. They're they comfortable. What, and it, they've got a community now of people mm-hmm. who are also comfortable around uh, alongside them. Yeah, absolutely. And so leaving is terrifying. Yeah. And so we have to coax them along with that. One thing we do at the mission is we have a what we call a connections case manager, uh, Jake Graybill. And what he does is he connects with these guys towards the end of their time at the mission and even um, follows up with them after they leave, goes and visits them at their apartments, goes to doctor's appointments with them, um, prays for them, communicates with them so that they're not alone. One of our guys put it best. He said, when you've lived in a shelter with a lot of other men and you move out on your own, the silence is deafening. And, and, and I think that there's probably something to that and they're scared of that. And so we try to find ways to get them plugged into organizations, churches, groups, any of that kind of stuff. Um, so that when they leave us, we're not that bubble. We want them to have those connections outside to get that help. Um, We're getting them connected with uh, mental health hospitals, you know, behavioral health centers um, and all that kind of stuff. So they can have therapists and, and pastors who are, you know, going into their lives and, and people like Randy who are taking an interest in them and, and all of that so that they have a community built around them. So I talked about my background. I'm a youth pastor, right? And so um, anyone who has done youth ministry has probably heard of the book called Sticky Faith. Fuller Institute put it out. And in that book, it said that teenagers are more successful when they have five adults pouring into their lives, five to one. Well, honestly, that's for our guys too. If there are multiple individuals pouring into their lives um, when they leave, that's that unit that they didn't have before. That's that team of encouragement, cheerleaders, motivators, um, ones who will call them out when they need it, but are helping keep them on track. And when they get scared or when they reach situations that they don't know what to do, we can help. We can help them navigate that so that they can maintain that independence. Um, And so for me, it's hope building. That's really what it is, is it's hope building. It's reminding them that, no matter what you face, there is hope. And we do that through introducing them to Christ. You know, as the pastor, that's my, my jam. That's my job is, is to introduce them to the one who gives hope. Um, and so we do that through Bible study and chapel services and prayer and, and conversation and classes and all of that stuff. And we try to be an atmosphere that when they come in, they're surrounded by the love of God. So one thing, and then Randy, I want you to talk a bit about that spiritual component. But one thing that I think would be maybe a surprise for folks to understand is, I know when I'm in front of folks and I'm doing a Bible study with them, uh, the amount of scriptural knowledge that some of these guys have. I had, I had a guy last night who uh, uh, we were talking about and dialoguing about uh, the parable of the seeds and the pathway, and, uh, and he was quoting me scripture throughout the New Testament it, it, to back up and, and kind of help facilitate the conversation. He was kind of co-leading uh, the Bible study with me, and it was cool. Uh, but he had that biblical foundation already. So it, it is, for some guys, this is new, you know, the spiritual conversation. But for some guys, this has been going on in their lives for a while. What is the importance uh, to you, Randy, of the spiritual component of rescue missions? Because a lot of people would say, you know, like Nate mentioned, hey, it's all about the basic needs. It's all about that. Don't fiddle with their spiritual lives. You know, just get them on their feet and get going. Why do y'all still do the spiritual stuff? Well, I want to set 
the foundation right away, though, for somebody who could be listening to this and saying, um, do they have a choice? Is this forced on them in order for them to stay there? Um, so I tell the men, the new ones that walk in, I said, this is not meant to be um, a brainwash or an IV drip, or, you know, of Christianity. Um, this is about you making the choice of choosing Jesus. And um, so I give them permission right away uh, to feel comfortable asking questions and to um, to struggle, you know, to understand, you know, maybe God hasn't been there for them. And, and so where is God in all this? So I try really hard to find um, relevance to scripture while they're getting comfortable with the Bible. Uh, to your point, uh, men come in with great knowledge. So I have to stay on my toes. <laughs> um, they have some tough, com- uh, tough questions, don't they? Yeah. And it's, uh, and I could tell it's, I think it pleases them that they know it. It's affirming. And they want the other men to know that they know, you know, that kind of thing. It's a, it's a way to kind of build themselves up. And I, and I encourage that. Then there's also men that are like Old Testament, New Testament. What does that mean? You know, and, and they're right in the very beginning. So, you know, we I really encourage all the men to have a Bible in front of them. Uh, and then when we reference scripture, I really want them to start looking for it. We take probably a few minutes. Everyone's turning pages. It takes a while to find it sometimes. But um, we're looking at the word. Um, but I think the thing is, is it is so, so true that God's word does not turn away void. Um, and that God's word does rightly divide. There's conviction in that room. And you also see to what Nate's point was, you see hope. Because um, God's word is powerful. And so I just present it. I, I, I bring them to it and ask some provocative questions and help them to start to claim it as their own. And it's a very exciting thing to do. I mean, I find so much joy in that. Um, Once in a while when I'm driving down 69 towards the mission, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, it's you and me and mostly you because I really am not so sure about how neat and tidy this is gonna look. (laughs) I'm a little bit of winging it is going on here, you know? But God always answers it. And and usually I find when I'm least prepared, it's a better lesson because it's less of me, more of him and just the way it's supposed to be. So um, so then when I'm driving back home after the spending the evening with the men, it's like, wow, Lord, you are so amazing. So that's the other thing to encourage anyone who's thinking about volunteering is, you know, if you're nervous, that's good because that means you're pressing into God. And when you leave, you're going to say, wow, Lord, you completely blew me away. I felt so comfortable with these men. You answered my prayer as far as wanting to relate. You did it. And I'm in. I'm in. It, it's it's very cool the way God is there. Yeah. Very awesome. So the the, the kind of proof of concept here is, is change lives when it comes to the nonprofit world, right? Especially when it comes to the work that you guys do. You are in the in, in the business, if you will. Of, of helping guys get back on their feet and changing the trajectory of their lives uh, from what was despair into hope mm-hmm. and, and self-sufficiency to a lot of degree too. So could you share with us, you know, without using names or anything, but the kind of, what's that look like? Like you know, maybe you got a guy in mind who has been a, a, a gold star, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does that look like in, in that guy's life? Yeah, I mean... I'm sure all of us can think of multiple people right off the top of our heads that, you know, we see this 
wild 180 in their lives and you know it's it, they're unrecognizable you know we were just talking about it i think yesterday about one person in specific that the person they are now versus somebody who knew them way back when they would be unrecognizable to to who they are now and the way that they are as a person and their faith and and all of that um we have the amazing ability to not only see that change, but, you know, if there's a, a need on our staff and that person can fill that need, we have plenty of people who've been past residents on our staff. Um, and it, I think it makes it so much easier for, for our residents than at that point, because that person can look at them and say, listen, I've been there. I've, I've dealt with what you've dealt with. And I am now on this side of the table telling you it's possible. Um, I think that that is so much more powerful than, than somebody like me saying, listen, I know it's possible and I'm here to help you as much as I can, but I just don't have that same life experience as you. You know, when you get down into it and you're like, Hey, I was in that same ditch right next to you just a little bit earlier. You can do it. I can do it. Yeah. I've got one guy in mind and I think it's who Kyle's talking about, um, who, so I've been in the mission for almost three years and this guy had been a, a regular as we call him, uh, someone who would come and go, come and go, come and go. And just just your typical, what we would call street guy. I mean, just you're on the streets, um, you know, you look at him and he can look very intimidating. Um, big guy covered in tattoos and just would look scary to someone who didn't know him probably. Um, once you get to know him, he's a big teddy bear. But um, what happened was, is he would come in and he was one of those guys who had biblical knowledge, um, very knowledgeable, had grown up in the church, had um, where he was originally from, had even been a part of a ministry at one point in time. Um, but life didn't go his way and got caught up on the streets. And then in that got caught up in addiction um, and then was living a life that was what he knew, a life of survival. And so he was using and selling and, and, and just living. Um, and he would come in and out of the mission, especially when it was cold. And I remember the last time he came to the mission, um, we we honestly thought he was going to die. He came in and it was the worst I'd ever seen him. Skin and bones, um, face all sunken in. I mean, he did not look good. So much so that we, I think we ended up having to send him to the hospital. This was probably a year and a half ago, a year ago, maybe more. But we, we ended up having to send him to the hospital. And um, we got him back and we, me and one, some of my case managers sat down and we had a very hard conversation with him that if, if he did not turn something, turn some corner, turn something around, he was going to die. Like this was it. If he left us again and went back out on the streets, he would most likely not survive. And the, the truth of the matter is he knew that. He knew it. He was very aware. And so he hit this moment that we call rock bottom, that moment of desperation. <laughs> Uh, when he was willing to take his head knowledge of God and apply it to his heart. Um, and so he he buckled down and he got to work and he got involved in addiction recovery and in spiritual renewal and even in mental health. And he's a veteran. And so he dealt with some of the trauma from being a veteran and trauma from his past of his uh, you know childhood and all of that and, and just started to put it together. And it was not an easy road. Um, he fought us tooth and nail along the way because it was moments of swallowing pride. It wasn't all at once. It was moments of surrender, moments of release, moments of giving up doing it his way to do it God's way. And um, now 
Um, he is more than a year sober. Um, he is employed with us, um, doing the job that he has dreamed of doing. Um, when guys move in, he's one of the first people they get to meet and talk to, and, and we're excited about that. And um, he's leading um, classes. He preaches for me on Sundays at the mission. I mean, this guy is turned it around to where he's almost unrecognizable. But the really cool thing that we've seen is um, we do our grab-and-go meals where the guys come up and they get a meal and, you know, it, it, they don't have to live with us. It's men, women, children, whoever. And he helps serve those once a week. And he's told me stories about people coming up and seeing him and saying his name and being like, where have you been? I haven't seen you. Where have you been? He's like, I've been here. And they're like, oh, man, what happened? He's like, I, I got life right. I turned my life around. And then that's an opportunity for him to outreach to those who are living in that same situation he was living in. And what I tell him is he's going to be able to reach people that I have will never have the opportunity to reach because they won't listen to me, but they'll listen to him. Because like Kyle said, he did life with them in the trenches. He was there with them in the ditch. He was there with them on the cold nights in the abandoned buildings and all of that. And they know him. They know who he was. But what's even more amazing is they know who he is now. And they see that transformation. You know, back to what Randy was talking about with the whole question of um, why stick to the spiritual matters. Well, I would argue that that is part of the basic needs. You know, we, we need food. We need shelter. We need security. But we need God because no change happens outside of him. Nothing, nothing like that happens. And so why do we stick to our Christian belief? It's so that we can tell stories like this. We can tell stories of change because like you said, that's our goal. We're probably one of the only organizations that would love to put ourselves out of business. <laughs> I mean, we would absolutely love it if we had to close our doors because there were no more homeless people in Evansville. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen, but that would be a moment of celebration for us. We had done what we set to do. Um, and so for us, like that is what it's all about is life change. I mean, if, if we're not changing people's lives and, and, and it's not us, I want to clarify if we're not facilitating the change that God wants to do in people's lives, then what's the point for us, really? Yeah, and that is a slightly different approach than some other uh, organizations take within town. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other organizations that do uh, kind of the shelter thing, other organizations that do rapid rehousing. Um, you guys' niche is kind of like that all-encompassing, long-range, highly relational help guys get back on their feet with Jesus at the center. Absolutely. And that's what, uh, I don't know, that's why I volunteer my time yeah. with y'all, um, because I think that's the hope, the ultimate hope. Uh, and it's not just a someday ultimate hope, it's a today hope that can give guys another reason to take that next step into sobriety, into the humility of getting mental health help, into the humility of looking inside mm -hmm. and seeing what's keeping them stuck. Um, so I'm plugged in. Uh, but how do other people get plugged in and help with the, the mission? Kyle, you're the, uh, the outreach guy. How do we donate? How do we donate our time? How do we donate our funds? How do we plug in? Yeah, absolutely. So there's so many options for you to get plugged in in some form or fashion. Um, you know, we, we love the donation of your time. We love the donation of if you've got a good or something like that that is either in your pantry or in your closet that you need to get rid of. We have several outlets for that throughout the city, even um, one on each side of town. One is here at Crossroads. Now, y'all are um, doing something with the old Washington Square Mall, right? Yeah. So it's coming sometime. Yeah. Tell us about that. 
June, we're going to be opening. Um, if you've been to our current thrift store on Washington Avenue, it's it's not very big, but you know we've had a lot of success with it. A lot of people they need affordable clothing, um, and we had this awesome deal come up with Washington Square Mall. And we couldn't say no. We're getting more space for the same price, um, much more space. I mean, we are I think almost tripling the size of our current store. Plus, we're able to put our warehouse in there. Um, and so then our, our thrift store guy and warehouse guy, he doesn't have to drive back and forth. It's walking across the hall. Um, so that's going to be incredible. And we can't wait to, to, to have you well, guys as an there. avid thrifter. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Please keep increasing that space because, uh, that just gives me more options. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's... Just one more. And then, you know, actually right next door is going to be Goodwill. Um, so, I mean, that's just going to be a little thrift central for everybody. Super. Um, then, you know, we love obviously, the, the monetary gifts that helps us do what we do um, and able to do it without having to have a ton of worry about it. Um, and you can do that online. Uh, as soon as you go to evansrescuemission.org, there's a there's a give button, and we would love to have that donation. If you want to volunteer your time with us, we have a, a community outreach coordinator, uh, and she her name's Taylor, and she will take care of you. You can find her email on our website. Her name's Taylor Humphrey. We have two. Um, get with her, and she can get you in at our men's residence center serving a meal, helping with classes, uh, youth care center, Camp Reveal Thrift Store. We have so many options for people, and we just want you to be a part of it. And, you know, one of the biggest things is just giving your prayer. Give us a little prayer every now and then, just making sure that we're where we need to be and that God, we're doing what God has called us to do in every way. Um, so that is the easiest. It's free. You can do it from home. Just say, hey, thanks, God. And, uh, you know, I, I imagine that, the listenership here is in all crossroads, but crossroads, uh, if you're listening, uh, join me on Monday nights. If you are, uh, you know, this is a little bit freaky to you. That's cool. Uh, come on out. You don't have to say anything, do anything, just be there and, and get the view from the street. Cause uh, I promise you it is a lot more exciting and a lot less scary than what might be in your mind. Uh, rescue mission. Thank you guys, uh, for doing what you do. You are a blessing to our community, uh, especially to people who are living on the margins and who are vulnerable. And as a pastor in our community, I can't thank you enough. You are doing God's work mm -hmm. uh, outside the church. So well, thanks for blessings be on you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, let's keep this going. You know, let's keep this Jesus stuff going. Mm -hmm. So That's thank you for joining us today. And uh, God bless. Yep. Thank you. My thanks again to John Heflick, Randy Buer. Kyle Gorman and Nate Denning for the work they're doing here in our community and for taking the time to sit in with us and record this week's episode of the Live and Love Like Jesus podcast. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Evansville Rescue Mission, you can visit their website at evansvillerescuemission.org. The link to that website can also be found in the podcast notes at cccgo.com forward slash podcasts. So again, Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And I pray that your time with us today has helped to build your faith and that it has encouraged you to go and to live in love like Jesus.